good to see everyone's face. Um, it's always good when we all come together in this one place to serve our, our God. We've been studying 1 Peter chapter 1, and this morning I'm hoping to finish chapter 1. Um, so it may be a little lengthy, but this will be part 4. And so we have dealt with Peter saying that you are the elect because you have obeyed the gospel. And then he showed us through how the old prophets had, had um, prophesied of the very things that they were living. They were part of God's uh, salvation plan of salvation. They were part of the, the church, the elect. And so really and truly, he's driving home towards the latter parts of this chapter, repentance. There is not any, there's not going to be another Savior. We got our Savior. Repent of the things that you're in because uh, what, what the prophets had looked towards is here. There's nothing else to look forward to except for the coming of the Lord and that resurrection. And so this morning we're going to pick up with verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And so God has called us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, when Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning. Remember, this plan of salvation was before God even created man, before sin was even introduced into the world. From the beginning, chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've been called, we've been chosen by God through our obedience to his invitation, the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, But as he, God, which hath called you is holy, now, now Peter's telling them, so ye be ye holy. In Leviticus chapter 20, verses 20 and uh, verse 26. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And so this is what God was telling the Israelites. And have severed you from other people that you should be mine. Well, we've been called and we've been severed from the world. We have been uh, called out of the world. We are that chosen people, as Ben had done such a great uh, invitation on that peculiar people. We are that peculiar people. We've been severed. We are to be different from the rest of the world. And so in order for us to be that, we need to be holy just as God is holy. He goes on to say in verse 15, in all manner of conversation. Well, that phrase, manner of conversation, the Greek word, it means behavior. And so we are to be holy in all behavior. Behavior can be seen and behavior can be heard. And so it's really our way of life. We need to be holy in all of our way of life. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, when Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And so he's pleading with the brethren there to walk worthy. Well, that word vocation there, uh, we may think of it as occupation, like a job, but vocation is actually the invitation. 
And so walk worthy of the invitation wherewith you are called. Work worthy of what? The gospel. That's what called us. Walk worthy of the gospel. Walk worthy of the name Christian. Walking worthy of his church. Walking worthy of being a child of God. But it goes beyond that. We need to walk worthy of being a citizen of the heavenly phase of the kingdom. Notice in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 3 verse 20 what Paul writes. For our conversation is in heaven. From hence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our conversation, well this conversation here, the Greek word means citizenship. Remember, we're just pilgrims on this land. And so our conversation, our citizenship is to be in heaven. And so we should be walking holy in order that we prove that we are, we're, we're not worthy of the blood of Christ. But we need to walk in such a way that God won't, at the judgment day, say you're not worthy to walk in white. You're not worthy to be a citizen of the heavenly phase of the kingdom. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, it's many times written in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. Be ye holy, for I am holy. In Leviticus 20, verse 7, Moses writes, Sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. If the word of God sanctifies the first time, that sanctification through the Spirit, it'll be what continues to sanctify us. The word of God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, there, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Living sacrifice, how? Denying self, becoming more holy. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but ye, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that what is that good, <coughs> excuse me, and acceptable and perfect will of God. The renewing of your mind is the girding of the loins of our minds with truth, God's will, that we had read about earlier in this chapter when, when Peter's telling them to gird up the loins of your mind. And so that renewing of your mind, you, you've got to keep putting the God, God's word into your mind so that you do not sin against him. Verse 17, If you call on the Father, who without respect to persons judgeth according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And so how did we call on the Father? It was through that obedience. In Acts chapter 2 verse 21 on the day of Pentecost, and we touched some of this on Wednesday night, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so when we, when we called on him and we had obedience to his gospel, then the Lord saved us based on our obedience to his will. <clears throat> the same Greek word, the very uh, thing that Paul did, but the same Greek word is, is if you call on the Father and shall call on, that's the same Greek word. It, it's, it's the, um, I should put the definition up here and I didn't, but it's, it's acting upon, acting upon. Acts 22 verse 16, that's what uh, Ananias told Paul 
And now I cherish thou, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Again, that's the same Greek word used there in the calling on the name. And so when Paul's sins were washed away, he was saved. He called on the name of the Lord. And so if you have called on the name of the Lord because you obeyed the gospel, we learned that in verse 1. They were the ones that already had obeyed the gospel. Verses 1 and 2. <coughs> verse 17. Well, our Father, who without respect to persons, okay, uh, again, throughout all of God's word, you're going to see that he's not a respecter of person. In Romans chapter 10, verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Uh, that's what uh, they were. They would often say that uh, Paul was the was the uh, apostle to the to the Greek and Peter was the apostle to the Jew and then they would say well they obeyed two different gospels there's not two different gospels and that's what he deals with in Galatians chapter 1 when he says um, <clears throat> there's some that have perverted and said there is another gospel but there is no other gospel there's only one gospel and it's for all salvation is to all that will accept it and obey it in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17 and then it says, judgeth according to every man's word. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus had told them in that day, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the words of life, just as the song that we sang, the same shall judge him in the last day. We are going to be judged by the New Testament. So all men in this dispensation of time that we live in now, the Christian age, will be judged by the doctrine of Christ whether they accept it or they don't. We're all going to be judged by the same words. There's some grim uh, things written in Thessalonica to the Thessalonians when Paul wrote to them that said that uh, by fiery vengeance, those that know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you want to obey it or not, you're going to be judged by it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all, whether you obey it or not, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or or bad. And so that goes back to that conversation, that way of life. The things that we are doing, uh, they don't need to be in vain or bringing um, shame to the body of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 17, on to say to pass the time of your sojourning here remember the strangers mentioned in verse 1 were pilgrims sojourning on this earth looking for their long horn, uh, home and so he's saying <clears throat> God is not a respecter he's going to judge you so you need to walk worthy you need to walk like a Christian should walk here in, in this earthly home 
But notice he says in fear. In fear. Now the Bible says that we're not to be fearful. But we are to be, have that fear, that respect towards God. That fearful that's mentioned there is not in relation to God. God would not give us the spirit of fear. Um, many in the brethren had that spirit of fear when the coronavirus came. But God says not to have that spirit of fear. Put your trust in who? Put your trust in Him. Knowing the Word of God is true, it should provoke us to fear the wrath of God at the judgment. That's the kind of fear that God would have us. It's the fear because we know that the word of God is true. We've already read that there will be a judgment day. And those that are not found in accordance with his will will, fit, uh, will have the full wrath of God at that day. It talks about Noah. In the days of Noah, he moved with what? Fear. Because he knew that God would destroy what he said he would destroy. And so he moved with fear, with reverence towards God and his words. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which what? War against the soul. We had, we had, so what is he saying? He's saying, arm yourself, Christians. That's that girding of the loins. Put on the whole armor of God that we read about in Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians. Everything that's outside of God is warring against our soul so that we too will be lost. Verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And so when someone is held hostage, a ransom is usually required for release. When sin reigned in our bodies, we needed to be redeemed or a ransom paid for our sins so that we could be set from, uh, free from sin. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well, it's only through, you may know it, but if you don't obey it, you will never be free. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. You're a slave to it. It's what drives you. In verse 18 in our text, Peter says, from your vain conversation. Vain conversation would be vain behavior or vain walk of life. That, that's what we were before the gospel. We had no... Before obedience to the gospel, we lived a vain life. It had no purpose. We were not serving God. We were serving self. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, the wisest man, Solomon wrote, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is what? Vanity <coughs> and vexation of the spirit. <coughs> In the last chapter, what does he what does he conclude with? In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's why God created man, was for them to fear him with reverence 
which will move us to have that obedient faith, keeping his commandments. And so sinners fear not God because they keep not his commandments. God created man to choose, to choose him over everything else. He, he made us uh, free will agent, uh, moral agents. And so we have the opportunity to choose him over everything else. But he says, if you don't want me, don't choose me. But there's going to be wrath for your decision. Also in verse 18, he says, receive by tradition from your fathers. And so it, the, the Jews were very bad about uh, integrating traditions um, from their fathers and saying it was law. A majority of people in denominations are members because their parents were. When one is converted out of a denomination, their worship is no longer vain to God. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so they were, they were saying, you have to do this and you have to do that. But it wasn't from the law of Moses that they were doing this. They were saying it because they said you needed to do this. Matthew chapter 15, verse 3. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by what? Your tradition. By your tradition. And so the Jews, they had certain traditions, and what they were actually causing the, 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 the Jews to do was stumble before God. They weren't truly keeping the commandments of God. And one of the instances he's talking about honoring your mother and father. And but they were like, I'll just I'll just give an offering to God and that'll that'll free me from honoring my mother and my father, taking care of my parents. And so that wasn't the will of God. That was a tradition. That was something that the Pharisees and Sadducees and uh, high priests would, would have introduced into God's law. Verse 19, Peter says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so we weren't redeemed with, what, silver and gold. We've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. So that ransom that's been paid is the blood of Christ. That word precious there means valuable. Valuable. Costly. Christian's placement of value should change as they spiritually mature. Uh, Peter goes after things that we would we would consider very valuable, silver and gold. But in the, as a Christian, a spiritual Christian, we know that silver and gold means nothing. But that precious blood of Jesus Christ is our everything. And so as we grow, we realize the sacrifice that Jesus truly made that we may live. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear, what, our sins in his own body on the tree. He did nothing wrong. But Jesus Christ took our sins to the cross. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto what? Righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. And so all those stripes that Jesus took on that day of his crucifixion, all that pain and suffering he went through was to heal us. Uh, spiritually. Verse 19, he said he, he describes Jesus as a, as a lamb. 
Well, Christ is our Passover lamb. In John chapter 1, verse 29, this is, this is John the Baptist speaking here. And the next day, John seeth Jesus coming on to him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so he was. He was the, the atonement for our sins. He was the Lamb of God. <clears throat> Jesus had to be sacrificed for us. That's what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. When they had sin in the church and they weren't doing anything about it, he's saying you've got to get the sin out of the church. Withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. In verse 7 he says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that sin, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. <clears throat> they were supposed to be holy, without sin. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And in verse 19, he says that that lamb was without blemish and without spot. Well, Jesus was sinlessly perfect. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the writer of the book of Hebrews, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the fillings of our infirmities. Meaning that he, he had temptations just as we do. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And, of course, we've mentioned it time and time again that the way he defeated Satan every time that he tempted him was it was written, it was written, it was written. Paul's, uh, Peter's telling them to get the word of God in your mind so that you do not sin against God. So you, too, can say, it is written, I can't do this. It is written, I can't do that. <coughs> First Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Who verily was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So again, God had a redemption plan in place before man was even created. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. Jesus wasn't an afterthought or to cover a mistake. God's will is perfect. He had the plan figured out before he even created Adam and Eve. But it was revealed, this redemption plan is being revealed after that first sin is committed. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee, the Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it, the seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God tells Satan Christ will defeat Satan, however Christ will be injured. It took the sufferings on the cross. However, the grave will, will not hold Jesus he will rise victorious. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, that's what Paul's telling the brethren there in Corinth. O death, where is thy seeing? O grave, where is thy victory? Until Jesus Christ came, the grave had all the victory. Verse 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. The victory over what? Death. The grave through our Lord Jesus Christ, because we know that there's going to be a resurrection one day, and then we will be raised as Jesus Christ was raised. In verse 20, he says, was manifest in these last times for you. As mentioned in previous weeks, the plan of redemption that was a secret to even the prophets had been revealed in the New Testament writings by the apostles and the first century prophets. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, when Paul's writing to the young preacher Timothy, he says, Who has saved us 
and called us with what? A holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. God has saved the elect to walk after his ways for his purpose. He has let us know our true purpose through his son. Jesus abolished the laws of Moses, the law of Moses at death. And he abolished death at his resurrection. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, what's the enmity? Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make him himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he may reconcile both, both unto God, Jew and Gentile, in one body by the church, by the cross, having slain the enmity, has slain the commandments of Moses, the law of, of commandments. Because that's what separated Jew from Gentile was the law of Moses. And so God's taken the law of Moses out, but he did it at the cross. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. And so we believe in God because of Christ. We believe in God because of the witnesses of his resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion or suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We had witnesses. And if you go to 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, it might be 2 Corinthians. There's a whole list of who saw Jesus Christ when he walked after his resurrection. And then Paul says, me, out of due season, on the way to Damascus. Our faith is in their reports. Jimmy touched on this this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, if he's not resurrected, then is our preaching vain. Their, their, their reports are false. And your faith is also vain. Our faith is in that resurrection. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And towards the end, Peter says that your faith and hope might be in God. Well, we know that Hebrews 11, 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him. That's God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You must have faith that he's real. You have to have faith that he is who he said he is. That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Our faith is required to be rewarded with the resurrection of life at the judgment day. That's the reward that we're, we're diligently seeking him to receive. In Acts 17, verse 31, because he, God, has appointed a day into which he, he will judge the world in righteousness. Well, how is God going to do it? By that man, Jesus Christ, whom he hath ordained. Well, how do we know it's Jesus Christ? Whereof, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. 
Our faith in Christ's resurrection assures us there will be a judgment day. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith in Christ's resurrection lets us know that we are saved at baptism. It's our good conscience towards God because we know he raised Jesus Christ out of the grave. We know when we were raised out of the baptism waters, our sins have been washed away. Our hope in the resurrection is what keeps us saved in Christ. That anchor of the soul that we had talked about earlier in this study. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so Peter's just pointing out, you've already, you've already, you've already purified your souls through obedience of the gospel. But it shows us that one must save themselves through obedience to the gospel. No one can do it for you. Remember on, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.40, and with many other words did he, Peter, testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. It was something that you had to do in order to purify your own soul obedience to the gospel. Verse 22, he says, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned, that means sincere. That's the Greek word, it means sincere. And so we should have sincere love towards one another. It's sincere love for the brotherhood. Old walks of life is serving self, loving self. But the new man serves others. What is sincere love? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. That's sincere. For one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. <coughs> sincere love for the brethren. You suffer with them, you feel it, or you rejoice with them when they, when they receive something that's very honorable or good. But what happens to the body of Christ when we lack this love for one another? 1 Corinthians 12, 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. That schism is division. When we don't care for one another, when, when we don't have that love for one another, divisions will start uh, entering into the body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Walk worthy of the gospel. That's how we've already talked about what called us is the gospel. And so how are we to walk worthy of the gospel? Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Why? Verse 3, in ever endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace, that there be no divisions, that you be unified. That was the plea in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, at, at the church of Corinth, was for them to be unified, to speak all the same things. 
Christians are to be family, not enemies. It takes the support of the body of Christ to get through our difficult times. When they suffer, we suffer. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so we know that we've been born again by the word of God. It's through the sanctification of the Spirit. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. That seed is the word of God. It's not a corruptible seed. The word of God is not corruptible. And so it was the, the word of God was planted in our, our hearts and then it's based on the type of soil if we have that honest and good heart, when we hear the word, we try to keep it. And then we'll bring forth fruit. In Matthew's account, it says, understand that having heard the word and understand the word of God. Those that truly obtain the spiritual maturity from the word of God. That's what we were talking about earlier, that maturity. And so you have to have a spiritual maturity in order to bring forth fruit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He's going to relate Christians as newborn babes. Well, what does a newborn babe desire? Desiring the sincere milk of the word that he may grow by there, grow thereby. If a baby's not receiving milk, it's not going to grow. It's going to die. In order for us to grow spiritually, we have to desire the word of God. We keep adding the word of God to our spiritual hearts by studying, reading, and listening. Verse 23 the word of God liveth. And so the word of God is alive. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is quick. That word quick there means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so the, the word of God is living. It should as we keep putting it in here, it should keep growing and, and manifesting in us. And then he says that the word of God abideth forever. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And so here we can see uh, application when the grass grows in the spring and summer, but then when the fall comes, if the grass begins to die. And then even flowers, when they grow in the spring, they only have that short time of life and they fade away. But the word of God will always stand forever. Well, notice what Peter goes and refers to. In verse 24, he says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, and the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. The outside man, flesh, ages. His appeasing of outward appearance, his glory diminishes, eventually submitting to death, falling away. But the inward man is renewed daily by the living word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, when Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perishes, though our grass is withering and our flower is fading away yet the inward man is renewed day by day 1 Peter chapter uh, 
1 verse 25. This is the last verse, I believe, of the chapter. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The gospel is the word of the Lord, and the gospel will endure. If you are living the gospel, you will endure too. And so I, I'm thankful for y'all for studying uh, chapter 1 with me. I'm not sure what next week will take us. We'll see if it will enter into chapter 2 or not. But Peter is, is pleading with the brethren to, to stay truthful to God. Because there is that resurrection, that hope of that prize that we all seek one day. And he lays a very good foundation in chapter 1. And so if there's any here today that have not heard uh, obeyed the gospel of truth, it starts by hearing the word of God. That's the, that incorruptible seed that must be planted. Uh, Romans 10, 17. That's how your faith will come. We've already noticed that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, he's not going to reward you. And so faith is a requirement. In John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus says, If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And so we must have faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one that has uh, created the way to heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes on the Father but by me. When we see that our ways are different from God's way, that's when repentance enters in. And so in Luke uh, 13, 3 and 5, Jesus says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He's talked in that context, he's talking about in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, how they perished by the wrath of God. And so he's telling the listeners there, if you do not repent, you too will reach the full wrath of God, just as they did in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Then you must confess him before men, and he will confess us before the Father. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. That is the confession made on to salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Just as the Ethiopian did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And then you must allow someone to immerse you in water to have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16, being clothed with Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. At that time, you're added to the Lord's church, Acts 2, 47. You are now the elect, the ones that have been ordained from the beginning of the world before creation. You are what God has truly seeked those obedient, God-fearing people. You are now that peculiar people as long as you live faithfully until the end, Revelation 2.10. And that's what Peter's driving home at the end of this chapter. Don't let your faith diminish. Remain faithful and true to God. Be holy, walk worthy. And so uh, if perhaps you have obeyed the gospel, but you have... Uh, started serving self and not serving God, if we can help you in either way, you'll come to the front as together we stand and sing the song of your encouragement.